Hello there, welcome to MMA Fight Club and Never Hedge Media. This is your weekly breakdown for Contender Series coming up this Tuesday evening, the 30th of August, with the 8 p.m. Eastern start time, where we each fight one fight at a time, give you a background on each fighter, give you our pick to win, also discuss a few prop bets. Unfortunately, when we do these videos, the prop bet lines are not available yet. We'll give you some guesstimates, we'll point you some few directions, but if you want the actual last-minute bets on what we're placing, you have to track us on our profile and bet the tips, and also track us on Twitter. With that said, we'll start with a recap of week number five, how we did last week. We were, dare I say, in Fuego last week. Four dogs we had correct, and the one favorite we also had picked. Well, depends on how you look at it. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Anyway, listen to that recap real quick, and then we'll jump to the full fight card. Here we go, guys. Recapping week number five of Dana White Contender Series, we did have all five of the picks right. Well, it depends on what video you watched. On our Swift Pick videos, we did have all picks right. We had the main event, Michael Parkin, co-main event, Darius Flowers, Jesus Santos Aguilar, Cameron Simon, all four of the dogs picked correctly, and the one favorite, Denise Gomes, correctly to pick on the first fight. But that was our Swift Pick videos. If you watched our full card breakdown, full disclosure, we did pick Gugulatse, and I was very torn in that fight. I was back and forth. So we can't claim we had a clean sweep last week, but we were damn hot. We were plus, what, 3.49 units, up plus money, had a few parlays to hit. And we were all over the dogs. We talked about it throughout the week that we felt the dogs had a good opportunity to win. And it's a common theme in Contender Series. When you see minus 300 numbers, minus 260, minus 275, you got to take a double take. These are all young fighters. Anything's possible. Now, granted, the coming event last weekend with Gugulatse and Flowers, kind of a fluke situation. But still, Gugulatse was at minus 300. Did you really want to play that? We talked about not parlaying it, being careful with it. But we didn't really have the balls to slam the bet on Darius Flowers. Now, he went over the internet last week and told people, hey, man, bet on me. He had $6,000 on himself, he claimed. He came through, got the win. Nonetheless, a nice week. Went positive. Almost went perfect card. We're aiming for a perfect card this weekend. Let's jump into it, guys. Here we go. The first fight of the card is going to be a featherweight battle at 145 pounds between the Canadian fighter Alex Morgan, who goes by the Chess Master, that's a unique nickname, up against Blake Builder, who hails from Minnesota. Builder is 6-0-1 overall, so technically undefeated, 4-0-1 in his last five fights, 32 years old, 5-8 in height, about two inches shorter than Morgan, with no reach number on him. As for Alex Morgan, 11-4 overall, a little more experience, and also a very long amateur background, which we'll talk about. 4-1 in his last five fights, he hails from Blaineville, Quebec, Canada, 31 years old, one year younger. 5'10", again, two inches taller than Builder, but a 73-inch reach. I have to imagine having watched Builder fight, he doesn't seem to have very long arms, so I'm going to imagine the reach advantage will be there also on the side of Morgan, along with the height advantage. And for Mr. Morgan, he trains out of TriStar Gym. I do believe I heard an interview with him where he said he owns a gym, but like as in like he owns a gym and has a management crew for that gym, does some working out there, but then he trains at like TriStar for like his, you know, get the real work in. As for the numbers on Tapology, Mr. Morgan is the favorite, getting 65% of the votes, 35% coming in for Builder. I get it. He's the favorite. He's from Canada. He's had a very good amateur career. I'm on Bob the Builder to win the fight. It's more of a dogger pass. Probably will not bet the money land at all. I like a few props here. For example, fight going over one and a half, the distance, maybe even Builder by submission. All right, let's get back to the details in these two fighters. For Alex Morgan, he had an 11-2-1 amateur career. He went pro 2013. He lost two of his first three fights by rear naked choke. His last fight was against Magat Hamel. A round four TKO win to win the belt in that promotion. Magat is 11-6-1 overall. A prior fight to talk about. Charles Jordan, they fought 2018, four years ago. A round one 
guillotine choke loss for him. Now, Jordan's in the UFC, and that gets back to that issue of the submissions against Alex Morgan. He's lost three times by submission, but again, early in his career, and then it gets a UFC fire. Now, what do I like about the way Alex Morgan fights? Of his 11 wins, six are by finish. His last fight was also by a TKO win. It was an, a body shot, a beautiful body shot. Most guys who fight in contender series have like five fights, six fights, whatever. This man has fought 29 total fights between amateur and pro. That's a lot of experience. Now, what are my concerns about Morgan? Not very active. He's fought twice in the past four years. He didn't fight at all in 2019, 2020. Just not very active. I don't love that. Submission defense. We got to highlight it. Three of his four losses have been by submission. And last but not least, the quality of competition. It's just hard to gauge. That's a common theme for all contentious fights, but and sometimes it's even harder than others. In this situation here, it's very hard for both fighters, to be honest with you. Now, let's talk about Blake Builder, Bob the Builder, 7-0 amateur career. He went pro four years ago, 2018. He fought in CFFC and KOTC. In my humble opinion, I believe he has fought in the better promotions. He's fought the better competition. Both fighters are right-handed, so there's going to be no quirky left-hand southpaw stuff going on. His last fight was against Regivaldo Carvalho. That was 2022 this year, so fought more recently. A round three TKO win. Carvalho is 6-4 overall, so it's like, you know, okay opponent. Prior fight, Frank Buenafuente. That was 2021 last year. A round two submission win. Buenafuente is 10-6 overall. Now, here is the fight that made me pick Builder to win. Here's the fight that I said, aha. I needed something to help me make a decision here on what side I'm going to be on because I was having, I was going back and forth. I'm like, Alex Morgan. He's a better striker. They got the size advantage. You know, he's from Canada. Vegas likes him. People like him. I've heard people give breakdowns on why they like him. And so that jaded me. I do admit it jaded me. But this is the fight. Kane Luger is four and two overall. You're like, all right, whatever, four and two. But he's fought in LFA and caged aggression. When I saw that fight and the way he dominated Kane Luger and he won in round one, I thought to myself, man, Kane Luger reminds me a lot of like a poor man's version of Alex Morgan. And that to me was a deciding factor, basically, that he beats the guy like this so confidently just a year ago that link by the way for that fight is down below now what's the like here about mr builder active fighter this will be a second fight this year and this will mark his fourth fight in the last two years he likes to throw kicks watch out for the head kicks and the body kicks early on i wish he would do it more often but his game is more grappling dependent so he kind of gives up on that and gets to the grappling situations but on the feet some nice kicks his wrestling that's where he's gonna hang his hat butter his bread his milieu his environment his office space he takes the fight to the ground early. He gets top control. I believe he looks for submissions. I think Builder has the edge slightly, maybe in the power and the clinch. Now, my concerns for Builder, the quality of competition, not a good striker. On the feet, he will definitely give up an advantage here. So Alex Morgan, if you hear me, brother, keep the fight at range. Don't go to the ground. Keep it at range. If you do that for two or three rounds, at least get the win. First fight in the card, I could see it being a bit of a dud. It's hard to pick a side because they're both so evenly matched. I think the best plays here are the fight going the distance, the over one and a half, and then builder by submission. But I have to choose a side, right? So I'm going to go with builder to win. It's more of a dog or pass. My only dog or pass pick on the card. Let's move on. All right, second fight in the card is going to be a women's bout in the strawweight division at 115 pounds between the Russian fighter Victoria Dudakova versus the Brazilian Maria Silva. Maria Silva goes by Vivieva Negra, which I believe translates to Black Widow. That is a good nickname for a fighter, especially a female fighter. As for Silva, she's undefeated. Both fighters are undefeated, actually, but Silva is 8-0. She's hailing out of Sierra, Brazil, 26 years old, 5'3 in height, not very tall, 65-inch reach. She trains out of Dragon Combat. 
As for Victoria Dudakova, she's also undefeated at 5-0 and from Volgrad, Russia, 23 years old, 5'6 in height, so will have a 3-inch height advantage in this matchup. It's hard for me to believe that because Maria Silva seems to be comparable in height in both of her opponents, but it tells you that Victoria Dudakova is more of a longer, leaner fighter, so she'll have a 3-inch height advantage. For reach, there's no reach there for Victoria, but I imagine she'll have a reach advantage as well because she's taller, right? As for the numbers on tapology, Dudakova is getting 62% of the votes, 38% coming in for Silva. That's surprising considering that on the main line, it's flipped the other way, right? So the money line you have Silva at minus 205, Victoria at plus 175. That money line makes sense. When you watch the film of these two guys, two guys, two gals, they're very evenly matched. They do things that are very similar, like to grapple, like to look for submissions. And I believe overall, we're going to look for a fight going the distance here. My pick out the gate, my short pick real quick for you guys is Silva. I think she outmuscles Dakova in the grappling situations, gets enough top control and wins a decision. No one's ever come back to contender series and won a fight and not earned a contract. I'm picking Silva to win the fight. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, let's talk about Victoria Dudakova first, the Russian fighter. Went 6-0 as an amateur, so had 6-0 as an amateur, now undefeated as, as a pro, nice winning streak, went professional to us in 20, so been a pro for about two years. She fought in Fight Nights Global and AMC, part of this opportunity. A right-handed fighter, and so is Silva. So we got two traditional right-handed fighters, no southpaw stances. They don't switch stances either. Now, her prior opponents for Dudakova, she fought Irina Digdaktareva, that was 2020, won the fight via round three arm bar. The fight was very close. What you see is on the feet, Victoria is not at home. She's open for things. Her technique is okay. She's holding her own in the fight. She's not getting necessarily beat up, but she's getting hit a lot. Once she gets the fight to the ground, that's her milieu. That's her environment. That's where she wants to be. That's where she wants to execute her ground and pound. Look for submissions. In round three, she gets to finish. It shows you good cardio, the ability to be patient, wear down your opponent. Another fight we watched, Anastasia Mosheviceva, 2021. One, I was a round one 30 second rear naked choke win. Very impressive. She knocks down Anastasia, gets like a side control, then moves over to the back control. 30 seconds later, she gets a win. What it shows you is that it gets lower level competition. She's going to run through them. Another fight to talk about, Nina Ruleva, that was 2020, a round two rear naked choke win. Again, she puts on a clinic against a fighter who's inferior. She almost submits her in round one, eventually submits her in round two. Nina is 1-1 one one overall, though, a very low-level opponent. But again, what you see there between Anastasia and Nina, those two fights, is that she's dominant against low-level competition. What you don't want to see is when a fighter fights against low-level competition, then they go to decision, or it goes long, or they have a hard time, or they get hurt. And one more fight to talk about. 2021, last year, she fought a girl named Ksenia Lachkova, a round one doctor stoppage. Lachkova is 10-7 overall. She dominates round one, and then it's in another language, so I can't understand what they're saying. They're talking maybe Polish, I believe. I understand some Russian, but not Polish. They're talking in the background, and the fight just called off. And I'm like, well, what happened? It just appeared as if Lechkova just had enough in round one and was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just trying to get out of here. She wasn't really cut, small cut in the chin. Not really sure what happened there. But looking at Ksenia Lechkova, that was one of her recent fights, who's 10-7 overall. Not the most quality of competition. And that's a current theme in all the fighters we talk about here on the tennis series, right? What do I like here about Dudakova? Very high finish rate, especially for women's MMA, right? And also small women, right? 100% finish rate, four submissions, and one Dr. Toppage. So all five wins, she finished her opponents. Very good grappling skills. Her strength is clearly in grappling, jiu-jitsu, when she gets on top. Her wrestling is eh, but her drag down skills, her tripping skills, her judo throws, that's where she likes to get the fight to the ground. And then from there, she's in her wheelhouse. And if she gets the fight to the ground and gets on her back, she works really well from her back. She's one of those fighters who look for arm bar. She'll be able to function well, land elbows, look to actually reverse position. So off her back, don't be worried if you're betting on her. She should be functional there. A very aggressive fighter. Now, both fighters have an aggressive streak in them. I'm curious to see who has the command of the cage in the beginning of the fight. I think it might be Silva because I imagine that Dudakova might be a little bit just more cautious, take her time, first time in contender 
adversaries just kind of feel things out. But she tends to come forward. She will look to take the fight to the ground. Now, that's going to be interesting. Who gets the first takedown? Who gets the first re reversal? Who gets more top control? Because both fighters will look to the fight to, to the ground. That's no question. For Silva, she has a history of reversing position. Which, I'm sorry, reversing takedowns. So if you try to take her down, she's pretty strong and crafty. In the case here with Dudakova, she'll look for takedowns, but does she get reversed or does she get the takedown? I'm so curious about that because whoever gets the takedowns in this fight and top control, that's the fighter who wins the fight, in my opinion. All right, now what are my concerns here for Dudakova? Inexperience against a good opponent. She hasn't fought anyone good. This will be her toughest opponent by far, and the same for Silva. So it works both ways. Both fighters have fought very little competition. She's a very average striker, and that's just to be polite. On the feet, I feel like she's just open to get hit. Head movement is limited. Hands are never really at guard. Her striking is raw. Clearly, her foundation is in jiu-jitsu. Her foundation is in grappling. For her to win the fight, it cannot be on the, on the feet for too long. If she's forced to fight that way, she's going to get marked up. Um, she got marked up in her prior fights where she actually won, but she still gets marked up on the feet if you catch my drift. She's not the quickest athlete. I noticed this. Now, she's the longer, taller, right? Like if you imagine like, I don't know, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's like 6'11". He's a sniper, lethal, amazing basketball shooter, but he would never be as quick as a person who's like, I don't know, six feet and very athletic because that person just closer to the ground. They're more athletic. In the case of Dudakova, it seems as if she just lacks that quick twitch at times. I think if she fights a fighter who has the quick twitch muscle and actually a little bit quicker, that could be problems for her. I'm not sure that's Silva, but I'm just kind of noticing that. When it comes to Dudakova, she lacks that natural athleticism. And I'm not saying she's not a good athlete, so please don't take it the wrong way. I'm just saying she's not quick. She's maybe fast, but not quick, if that makes any sense to you. Her guard is open. If Silva decides to just throw a front kick right to the front, right in the middle, jab, straight punches, it's going to be there the entire fight. Because when you see the way Dudakova fights, her guard is somewhere in here. And it's not like smooth and crafty, like good side head movement. It's just here. <laughs> so she's not blocking many strikes. It concerns me. It gets a good striker, a big problem. It gets a fast striker, even bigger problem. Is Silva that cat? I'm not, not so sure that's the case. Silva has shown okay striking. I think from the striking standpoint, you could even argue they're about equal because neither fighter here is lightning up in the feet. Okay, let's talk about Silva, the Brazilian fighter. Professional athlete, 2013, with no amateur experience. The first part of her career was interesting. She went pro 2013 and took a four-year layoff between her next fight. She fought Aris and future FC part of this opportunity. And this will be her second fight on Daniel Contender Series. She fought last year, won by decision over Paprocki, which we'll talk about that. Both fighters are normal right-handed stance fighters. Her last fight, she fought Iwalina Wozniak. That was this year, a round three Renekin Choke win. That was back in March. Wozniak is undefeated up until that point. So that was her first loss. And it was a quality opponent. I think Wozniak is maybe not UFC caliber, but good enough where you can say it was a good opponent. You can see the confidence early on from Silva. Silva comes out almost like um, Amanda Lemos, where she comes out heavy on her feet, controlling the middle of the cage, dictating pace, pushing her back at her opponent. You can see the confidence. The problem is she takes a long time to get the finish. I would have liked to have seen her get the work done faster. At times, she can be a little slow in getting her game plan going. Takedown after takedown dominates the ground control position, and then eventually in round three gets a submission finish over a good opponent. I like what I saw. I just want to see more. Like, I want to see her get that submission in round one or round two, dominate position, get the fight done earlier. But she did show good cardio, patience, excellent ground control, and a win over a good opponent. Another prior fight, Catherine Paparaki. Now, I know this name because Catherine Paparaki was on tough this past year. And she lost her first fight, exhibition, bout whatever, and got finished. I liked her story. Comes from humble beginnings, very appreciative of the opportunity. 
But she got beat up, got dominated. Yet when she fought Silva, it went the full decision. And that concerns me. I'm like, wait a second. I I'm thinking I like Silva in this match. A two to one favorite. You're thinking you should be finishing someone like Paparazzi. She did not. On the flip side, when you watch the fight, she does dominate her for three rounds. It's not close. The entire fight is dominated. What's to like here about Silva? Number one, finishing ability. Five of her eight wins are by finish, three by submission and two by TKO. So a balanced fighter in terms of submission ability. Very good head movement, especially early in the fight. Now, this will be her opportunity on the feet to own that part of the fight. However much the fight's on the feet, which might be limited, good head movement, good counter punches. She will move her head and then set up her counter punch. That's something that Dudakova does not have in her arsenal. If Silva's still working on her technique, improving, she's very young, I expect her to be way ahead of Dudakova on the feet. Now, not a knockout, but maybe just some damage on the feet. And her grappling is solid. So we talked before about Dudakova grappling. In the case of Silva, same thing. This is going to be a grappler's delight. Whoever has gotten the edge in the grappling department probably wins the fight. It means grappling control, maybe getting a submission attempt, but not getting the submission itself. That's the fighter who wins. And if you like Dudakova, that's her path to victory. It's not going to be her on the feet kickboxing. It's not going to be her off of her back landing elbows. It's going to be Dudakova on top with position control, trying submissions, or vice versa if you like Silva on top, position control, women's bout, nice and greasy, all three rounds. That's at least how I perceive it. Now, what are my concerns for Silva? Number one, she does throw with power. It seems like she has power in her hands, but it's raw boxing, limited combinations, and I've seen her land some power shots, but then the opponent doesn't seem to be very hurt, so I question how much power she has in her hands, and her boxing overall, her striking overall is okay. Good head kicks, yes. Even some body kicks and leg kicks, not enough for my liking. I like to see her be busier there. And if I was coaching her, I would say that's the area we have to work on the most to improve because the grappling is very good. It's where she should be at in terms of her career. But the striking needs to get better. She doesn't throw enough clean combinations. Like she'll throw one punch, maybe one, two, a head kick, but needs to get things going in combination, especially when your opponent's backing up against the cage. Don't just go in there and hug her and grab her. Get a combination off before you actually go into a grappling situation. And last but not least, she's faced very little competition. Now, her last opponent was a good fighter. We mentioned her before. That was against um, Wozniak, who was undefeated. But still, putting that into a vacuum, Wozniak is you know, still very average, not UFC potential. So still, we don't know what she does against better opponents. And I think in this fight, Dudakova may be her best opponent to date. All right, so we watched a handful of fights to break down this film. We watched about six in total. Those fights are available as part of our free video library. If you don't know already here on MA Fight Club, look down below. You'll see the links available in our description. In conclusion... I'm going to choose Silva to win the fight. The price tag, mm, that's where it gets me a little bit off. At minus almost two to one, you expect her to be way more dominant. And I think in the clinch situations, she may show that. That's going to be her path to victory. I don't see a submission. Dana White has a choice of either signing her or sending her off. It depends upon the roster, supply and demand. I think he signs her. If Dudakova pulls it off with an arm bar, I'm not surprised. Some props to consider are the fight going over round and a half, like that spot a lot. I think this fight even goes a distance. That's another prop to consider. And then a submission prop by Dudakova because the arm bar submission will be there. She'll be on her back, right? With Silva on top of her. If Silva makes a mistake, and I've seen Silva make some mistakes. Matter of fact, when she fought against Wozniak in round two of that fight, she had to defend off a rear naked choke that was very deep and it was nasty, almost like she was about to get submitted. Bottom line is a mistake or two in a women's bout, next you don't have an arm bar finish. So I would look at the prop of taking Dudakova by submission. Not available just yet. I'm going to guesstimate it'll sit around plus... 350 to plus 400 she's an underdog here that would make sense it could be worth the stab or if you want to get more specific i think silva wins by decision those are our betting angles that's our breakdown ron silva to win the fight good luck with this one guys
Next up, we have a lightweight fight at 155 pounds between Brazilian fighter Rodrigo Lidio, who goes by the Dynamis, and Matuz Rebecki, who's from Poland. Rebecki is 15-1 overall. 5-0 in his last 5 fights. He's 29 years old in 10 months, so about to be 30 years old. 5'7 in height with no reach and armbar on him. He trains out of Berkser's team. As for Lidio, who goes by the Dynamis, he's 12-2 overall. 4-1 in his last 5 fights. He hails from Brazil, 33 years old in 1 month, so about 3 years older than his opponent here. 5'11 in height with no reach and armbar on him. Just looking at the way they're built, Lidio is quite a long fighter. Very long, matter of fact, for this division, 5'11". Whereas you got Rebecca, who's more of a shorter, stockier wrestler build. So in terms of the length advantage, it'll definitely be there for Lidio for height and reach. Uh, as for Lidio, he trains out of Nordest Jiu-Jitsu. Now to the numbers on coming on Tapology, Rebecca is the big favorite, getting 92% of the votes, only 8% coming in for Lidio. I concur. I do agree with Rebecca winning the fight. Um, but there is a path of victory for Lidio, which we'll talk about. Moneyline has Rebecca sitting currently at minus 230. You know, this is the problem here. We talked about this last week on Data Wicked Tennis Series, where when you start start approaching that minus 250 to minus 300 range it just becomes a mathematical juggernaut for you because both guys are inexperienced in this case they're not very young so they're not that inexperienced but the point is this level right both guys have question marks in their background quality of opponent things of that nature so when you're talking about minus 230 it does get a little bit chalky but i do like rebecca here i like him as a parlayed piece i don't like him playing them straight up we'll talk you through this entire breakdown but for the short and sweet people who need to keep it moving we like rebecca to win by decision using his grappling. Now let's talk here about the details of these two fighters. Okay, let's talk about Rodrigo Lidio, who's from Brazil. Went professional in 2014. He's coming to this fight off of an LFA victory via round one KO, a very impressive fight. He fights with a right-handed stance. So his last fight was against Arthur Lima in LFA, as we mentioned before. Has a nice knockout win in round one. Lima is 10-2 overall, respectable record. He's only been finished one time in his career, so that was a pretty impressive win. Now two prior fights we watched, Evandro Barbosa, 2019, he had a round one KO win. He gets taken down very early in that fight, but then works his way back to the feet, gets a nice knockout uppercut, an uppercut that just lands perfectly at the right time. Now, prior fight, Eder Gama, also 2019. These are the fights we could find on the internet. So some fights in 2020 and whatnot, we couldn't find those fights. But this fight, these two fights we did find. So Eder Gama, 2019, another round one KO win. It's like a repeat of the Barboza fight. Gets taken down early. You don't like to see that, but gets back up. That you do like to see. Went back to his feet, gets the guy hurt, gets a knockout. In that case, he lands a nice Muay Thai knee to this guy's head. The guy falls down, lands a few more shots, finishes up the opponent. But Gama is 18 and 10 overall and has lost four of his last eight fights by some kind of a finish or a knockout. So not the most durable opponent. Again, there's that question mark of like, who are they fighting? How good are they? In the case of Rodrigo Lidio, it's okay competition. I can't say it's terrible. They have some wins, but it's okay competition. Now, what I like about Lidio, he's got a decent jab. He uses that very like Philadelphia shoulder roll boxing style where his hand's very low, like Mayweather-esque. The hand being low, we'll talk about that, but he's got a decent jab. I wish he would use it more, being that he'll have a four to five inch reach advantage. He should use it more. It's going to be there for him. He showed a decent amount of takedown defense at times in his fights. He eventually does get taken down. First, you see him working the right techniques, getting his legs apart, trying to fight the hands, trying to get his underhooks, but gets taken down anyway. <laughs> anyway, has a very high finish rate. 10 of his 12 wins are finishes, 9 by TKO and 1 by submission. What does that tell you? Clearly, he's more of a knockout guy, not so much of a submission guy. And he also shows patience early in fights. We mentioned before, gets taken down early in fights, takes his time, gets back to his feet, shows a level of uh, maturity, and gets a knockout. You like to see that from these young guys who sometimes they start panicking on the ground, get gassed out, make some bad decisions, get choked out. 
Now, what are my concerns here for the Brazilian fighter? Well, he leans into his jab. We talked about this jab he has, right? He leans into it a little bit off balance, like exposes himself for a counter. I don't like that. His hands are very low. The lead hand's very low, especially. That's opening for any kind of jab or anything coming at him. His head movement's also limited. He's very easy to hit. He's a longer guy. Not very quick. He's got a snappy jab. He's got some power. His ground game limited at best the best way to put it so not a ground attack no ground offense but if anything his ground defense has shown to be pretty good and he just get back to his feet so i do like that takedown defense it's a work in progress needs to get better i've seen him look pretty good i've seen him uh not look good it just depends on what part of the fight you're looking at but i think it's a part of the fight that you could expect him to improve on we have to remember these guys are coming to this fight off of up and down performances, people that are not the best opponents, they're starting to round out their game, we should see some improvements. So I do expect to see improvements from both fighters. Now, let's talk about the Polish fighter, Rebecki. He went 1-0 as an amateur. Now, notably in his one amateur fight, he had a heel hook victory. You're like, oh, whatever, no big deal. Well, his first three pro fights, he decided, I'm gonna just keep doing heel hooks. So his first four total mixed martial arts fights between amateur and pro were all heel hook victories. He went on to get a lot more submission wins, but then starts tapering into more TKO victories, as we'll talk about. He went professional in 2014. He fights with a southpaw stance. That's not going to be a big deal here for Lidio because I believe most of the fight for Rebecca will be in the clinch, in the ground game. That's where he wants to perform on the feet, not the best striker. So I don't think the southpaw thing will be much of a factor in this fight. Now, the prior opponent we want to talk about for Rebecca, the one fight we could find on film. 2020, he fought Magomed Magomedov. Not the Magomed Magomedov you're thinking from the UFC. A different one, but a good one. 12-4 and four overall. Decent record. And a guy who, you know, he was okay. He looked he looked like he was game in that fight. He's a decent level opponent. So here's what happens early on. On the feet, you see Rebecki is throwing big punches. Like, a lot of hooks, a lot of power. Not a lot of technique. He's getting clapped a few times. A little bit of facial damage. Nobody's getting hurt. But then once he takes the fight to the ground... That's it. He starts grinding up Magomed, Magomed, Magomedov. These are guys that are from Russia. Pretty decent wrestlers overall. He grinds the shit of this guy and finishes off top, top, in, on top position in round one. Excuse me. Round two starts off. He gets the fight right back to the ground again. Grinds the shit of this guy again. Cuts him up. Lands some elbows and ends up ending the fight on the ground. Uh, so look, here's a guy who wants to fight that way. If he chooses that path of victory in this matchup, I think he'll have some opportunities. My only concern would be, can he finish his opponent using that technique? So for Rebecca, what I like about the way he fights, aggressive pace. He's going to force you to fight. He's going to make you get off of your pedestal. You can't just stand there and be comfortable. He's going to push pace, push you against the fence, cut off the cage. Reminds me a little bit of Demetrius Thomas, who just fought the day on one, on one prime. He cuts off the octagon. He forces you to get uncomfortable. He throws a lot of power behind his punches. It's a good and bad thing. He kind of ducks. That's a Mike Tyson thing. Really strong hooks. Looks to hurt you. And if he catches you, it's going to hurt. He will shoot with traditional wrestling takedowns. Double legs, single legs. And if you look at the way he's built, he looks like he's a guy who probably wrestled a lot in his past just based upon the physique. Very high finish rate. Of his 15 wins, 13 by finish, 8 by TKO, and 5 by submission. I mentioned before, most of the earlier fights when he was finishing them were by submission. He's evolved now and gotten better with his TKO power. When I say TKO power, I want to emphasize this, though. It's on the ground. When he's on top of somebody landing elbows, that kind of TKO power, not really on the feet. Now, what are my concerns here for the Polish fighter, Rebecca? He simply ducks his head and does the, like, <laughs> I hope it lands. I mean, shit, one of the best of all time, right? Khabib Nurmagomedov, he wasn't a technically good boxer. He would just do the whole, like, head down, overhand punch. But I'm not kidding you. Sometimes when this guy 
where Becky throws a punch. He doesn't even see if it hits the person. It could hit him, but he won't see it hitting. His head is literally straight down. It's a recipe for disaster if he catches a knee at the wrong time or an uppercut. And we just mentioned before that this guy Lydio has ended a fight with a clinch, tie clinch knee, and he's also ended with an uppercut. So, you know, if that were to happen here, it shouldn't be too surprising because it is a technical flaw on the on the side of Rebecca. For Rebecca, his striking in general, it's uh, neglectful. It's uh, not very technical. It's all to set up his takedowns. He can't really work well at range. If he's forced to fight at range against anyone who's decent with striking, he probably loses the fight. Probably gets pieced up. Now, has a chin. He'll keep going forward. He's a tough guy, but the reach disadvantage is real. The striking disadvantage is real. The technique is just not there to strike the feet. He's a bit of a one-dimensional fighter, one-trick pony. I hate to say it. He's got to incorporate the ground game to have a path to victory, whether he's a finishing on the ground or by um, winning on the scorecards by having position control and landing more strikes on the ground. Long story short, these guys, there's there's two different paths this could go, right? We have the striker from Brazil who, if he could force this to be on the feet, should have the advantage. And we have the Polish fighter who wants to grapple and wrestle and bring the fight to his, you know, his, uh, his wheelhouse and keep it ugly on the ground. So in conclusion, I do think what happens here is the Polish fighter is victorious. I don't know that he finishes the fight. You know, I want to say, oh, it's going to be blood, you know, glory, and it's going to be amazing. No, we could just have a really good, tough fight. There could be some blood, yeah, on the ground with some elbows, you know, cutting open the forehead area of Lido if he's on the bottom. But look, Dana White could still offer a contract up if the fight is just very good and it's close. Now, these guys are early 30s, right? 30, 33. It's sort of now or never. What I hope doesn't happen is the Polish fighter doesn't come out here and say, I have to fight with reckless abandon. I have to have a standing knockout. If not, I won't get a contract. And then he abandons his game plan, ends up in a situation where maybe, you know, he's, it's, it's not going his way. I hope he sticks to his game plan, take the fight to the ground, grind up the Brazilian. That should be the path to the victory. Again, just a reminder, though, it's young fighters, lack of experience, a minus 230 money line. I would not play it straight up. If I had to bet a prop in this fight, I'm going to look at the fight going over a round and a half. They've both shown good durability. Yes, high finish rates, but these guys have good chins themselves. Neither one has ever been finished before. Could that happen here? Yes, but I'm not surprised if the fight goes the full distance. And again, I'm on the Polish fighter to win the fight, most likely by decision. I'm on Rebecca. That's our choice. That's our breakdown. Good luck with this one, guys. Moving up the car, we have a light heavyweight bout at 205 pounds between Matej Penaz, who hails from the Czech Republic, and Cedricius Dumas, who goes by the Reaper, who hails from Pensacola, Florida. Dumas is undefeated at 6-0. Both fighters are undefeated at 6-0. Great matchup right here. I like this type of thing when you have two guys, both young, both undefeated. The O's got to go from somebody, right? Dumas is six foot three in height. I don't have a height here listed for Panaz, but having watched him fight, the dude is pretty tall. I can't imagine he's much shorter than six foot one, six foot two. So in the same height range or same size range as Dumas. As for Dumas, he trains out of Port City Combat Sports and has a 79 inch reach, very long arms. For Mataj Panaz, he goes by Money, also undefeated out of Czech Republic. No size to reach number on him, but again, having watched him on film, the dude is very big and very long. He's out of Jet Sam Jim Bruno. As for numbers on tapology, it appears that Panaz is the favorite, getting 63% of the votes, only 37% coming in for Dumas. I'm really surprised. I like Dumas to win the fight, so the short and sweet of this and the breakdown is, I like Dumas to win the fight by decision. I'll explain it to you in a few moments as to how I see that happening. I'll give you the background on both fighters, but I think Panaz is a good fighter. There are some chinks in the arm with both guys, but I'm a little surprised here about tapology. If you look at the numbers on the money line, it appears that actually Dumas is also the underdog at plus 175. So Mataz, Panaz, I keep saying it, Matej, Mataj. I'm just gonna call him Panaz the rest of the way. Panaz is the favorite, but I do disagree again. I like Dumas to win the fight by an ugly, boring decision. 
using his grappling control. Now, the background of these two fighters, for Pinoz, went 3-0 as an amateur, went professional in 2016. Now, 2016 was a professional, but he was professional as a kickboxer for his first few years. Matter of fact, his first eight fights were all in either Muay Thai or kickboxing. He went 6-2 and two during that time frame before then moving over to Octagon MMA, where he started to do mixed martial arts fights. His last fight was against Gianni Melillo. That was this year, decision win. Melillo is 14-7 overall and a pretty tough guy. He's built a lot like Volkanovski, more stout, thicker type of guy, whereas Matej Benaz is very long. The fight starts off with a lot of ugly clinching. Gianni's able to make the fight ugly. That would be the one critique I would have on Matej in his last fight. He allows a guy who I believe he's much better than. He's like a, a step above in terms of, uh, you know, p- potential, ability, the whole nine. But he allowed this guy to make it ugly. So the first two rounds, if you're not an MMA aficionado, you don't know how the rules work, it looked pretty close. Now, there was no position control against the fence in that promotion, so it didn't matter. There were no takedowns. There was a lot of attempts for takedowns by Belilo. But nonetheless, we end up going to round three. By round three, Matej is able to use his range and distance to land more strikes. You can make an argument that it's possible he may have lost the fight based upon the ugliness and position control. It wasn't like he dominated. Now, round three, he looked more dominant. He had a hard time keeping this smaller fighter off him. We're going to get back to that point in a second. Now, what I like about Panaz, very high finish rate. Of his six MMA wins, five of those are by TKO, by knockout. And when you watch him strike, he's a southpaw. So right-hand lead, the left hand comes with a lot of power. He gets his hips into it, his lower body. You know those uh, female fighters who will walk forward and just like do this? There's actually nothing behind the punches. With him, he's turning the hips like the quarterback, like Dak Prescott, getting the hips into it. So he's got a lot of power behind his punches, which is why he's got a high KO rate. He can allow his opponent to dictate the pace of the fight. Last fight, that was an example of that. He allowed his opponent, who was inferior to him, to make the fight ugly. Now, he defended every takedown attempt, so I do like that. But what if he faces a guy who's a better grappler, like this guy here, Dumas? What if he faces a guy who's a better takedown artist, who makes it uglier, who can get back control, who's just simply bigger? Dumas is also very long, too, and also very tall. He won't have that size length advantage. So I wonder, against a better grappler, will Panaz stay on his feet for all three rounds? Will he have the ability to defend those takedowns? He also can lean into his power shots. I love that he's got power in his shots. But if you overcommit and you get off balance, you leave yourself open. If you look back on Sadiqrius Dumas's prior fights, he's knocked some people out with head kicks. He can kick the hell out of somebody if they catches him off balance. So they've got to be careful of that. And last but not least for Panaz, I think he's got to be more careful about the way he comes in. His last opponent didn't have power. His opponent has a lot more power. Now, as for Mr. Dumas, the American fighter, had a 9-1 amateur career, went professional in 2020, been a pro for about two years. He fought an icon prior to this opportunity with Daniel Contenders. His last opponent, not much to write home about, Aaron Highbow. That was this year, decision win. Highbow is 9-6 overall. And of the four law, I'm sorry, of the six losses that Highball has, he's been finished in four of those. So guy's not very durable, not very impressive. A matter of fact, the first punch in that fight that Dumas lands, the first overhand right, and it's like not even a clean punch. It glances the head. Aaron Hibaugh gets into like Bambi legs. If you're watching that fight real time, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be over fast. Somehow it goes the full distance. And that's where my concerns were. It's like, wait a second, you should finish this guy. He's been finished before. I mean, I thought in round one at some point, Dumas had back control. He had top control. I mean, he had full mount position. I mean, he had every position possible in that fight. And maybe it's just because he's young. So that was my big critique there. He didn't finish a guy that I think he should have finished. If he pulls that type of strategy in this fight on Tuesday night, he's not getting a contract. He'll get the win. He'll he'll win the, the battle and lose the war. For Matej Panaz, he's more likely to have a more exciting finish if the fight is on the feet. But it's his job to keep it that way. You see, because Dumas will make this fight ugly, but he's a more physical specimen than the last opponent that Panaz fought. 
He's much bigger. He's much longer. He's more capable. He's Africanus. Black. Athletic. He's going to be there for all three rounds. Seems to have pretty good cardio. I'd prefer to see the fight at range. Well, the reality is when you look back at the recent fights for Dumas, he's going to try to use his strategy to win the fight. Now, even more, how about this? If Dumas catches a bad punch in round one or round two and gets hurt, he'll revert to what is safe, you know, what works for him. Back to Dumas right here. What I like about him. In ground control positions on top, he's very active. He'll posture up and land a lot of strikes. I do give him that. Some guys will get in top control a la Ray Waters this past weekend. Ray Waters had top control for almost the entire fight against his opponent. Maybe because of fatigue, he just did not posture up. Kind of boring to watch that. So in top position, he is very busy. He likes to use body locks to get his takedown. So expect this. Expect the fight gets against the fence. Panaz has his back against the fence like he had last fight. Dumas will look for underhooks. And then from there, drag his opponent to the ground. He's not a wrestler. He's not a single leg, double leg guy. Now, he's a scrape your ass to the ground. Use his height and his weight. Now, what are my concerns for Mr. Dumas? He got very sloppy in his last fight on the feet. It didn't cost him against a guy who, nine and six overall. If he gets sloppy here with my man, Matej Panaz, Panaz does punch with some power. I wouldn't be surprised if Panaz at least rings the bell one time. And then at that point, you're going to see Dumas revert back to that takedown. My other concern for Dumas is he lacks a sense of urgency. We mentioned before, he didn't get a finish in that last fight against a guy who had been finished before, had great position, opportunities. I know I'm being picky. I'm being critical of his win. He got a win. That's the most important thing. He's in contender series. He's earned his spot here. Great. You just want to see a win by this, but not by decision. They want to see a finish of some kind of against a lower level opponent. So we watched a few fights to bring down the spin. Watch Dumas versus Highbow, Dumas versus Dixon, and Panaz versus Melillo. To watch one of those three fights, those links are down below as part of our free video library. In conclusion, I think Dumas wins this fight by decision, kind of ugly, using his grappling, position control, probably loses a round because of the striking expertise of Panaz. Panaz lands a few punches. But don't get yourself all too hyped up for this fight, guys. I think we got ourselves a fight's going to be a little bit boring. I think Dumas gets a win here by decision. You see Dana giving the speech afterwards like, hey, you got to be more like this guy and, and less like uh, like Dumas. So we'll see Dumas come back maybe later this year, maybe next year. Last point, though. The money line has Dumas at plus 175. We were pretty accurate last week at our dogs. So I see this dog is barking right here. I like Dumas at plus 175. How will I bet it? Whew, yeah, we're going to see here. I'm going to watch the line move around a little bit. Probably by Tuesday, I'm going to put anywhere from a half unit, maybe even down to just a quarter unit, not too much exposure. I don't want to risk too much. It is contender series. If I do a degenerate parlay, it'll include Dumas as the parlay piece. So I like Dumas to win the fight by decision. That's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this one. All right, boys and girls, the final fight in the car is going to be a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between the Brazilian Jose Canela Henrique. Canela is shin, as in my shin across your face, like Edwards did against Usman. We're going to get the Japanese fighter, Yusaku Kinoshita. Kinoshita is 5-1 overall, 4-1 his last five fights, hailing from Japan, as we mentioned before. Only 22 years old, but Jose is only 19. We've got two very young fighters. Yusaka is 6 foot in height compared to 6 foot 5 for Jose, so a 5-inch height advantage for Jose. We don't have a reach number on Yusaka, but we have to imagine the reach will be on the side of Jose as well. And Yusaka trains out of Pease Lab Osaka. As for Jose, he trains out of Nova Uniao. Excellent gym, very well known down in Brazil. He's 5-0, undefeated. And he's 19, super young prospect. I do like what I see from him. We're going to talk about each fighter and their background and their breakdowns. Now looking at the topology votes, Kinoshita's getting 65% of the votes, only 35% coming in for Henrique. I do agree. I like Kinoshita to win the fight. 
The money line also has Kenny Shida as a slight favorite at minus 180. I like him to win, but I will first mention that these are very young fighters. We can expect big improvements from fight to fight. Kinoshita has been fighting over in the Far East, so you kind of wonder about that competition. Henrique has also been fighting okay competition. His last fight, in my opinion, he lost the last fight, but he got the win by split decision. We'll talk about that in more detail. So I'm on Kinoshita to win the fight. Not sure how it happens, though, because Henrique has a hell of a chin. His last fight in particular, you see him get clocked a few times, does not go down. Young fighter, a lot of confidence in their chin, a lot of bravado. But I like Kinoshita to win the fight, most likely by decision. And I think it's going to be a back-and-forth fight. It's going to be a bit of a war. And I think both guys will have their moments. But I think Kinoshita will be the faster fighter, land more punches, and win the fight. For Yosaka, 5-0 amateur career. He fought in JMMAF, which is a Japanese promotion. He went professional in 2020. He's been a pro for about two years. Very young fighter again. Has fought in Ryzen and Pancreas prior to this opportunity. So those good organizations. He fights over the southpaw stance. That will be an adjustment on the side of Henrique. Now, how much of an adjustment? He guys got like five inches. He has plenty of space to adjust, right? Now, last fight for Yusaka, he fought a guy named Rachuri Sumimura. I apologize for the mispronunciation. That was last year, a round two cage grab foul loss for Yusaka. He knocks down Sumimura, hurts him with a nice, I think it's overhand left or right. The guy's on the ground. Now what happens is Yusaka then goes over to the guy and starts foot stomping him, which is totally legal in that fight there for Ryzen. But in the process of doing that, he grabs the cage to just get some balance. Initially, it's a win. They hand him a trophy. They announce it. Referee raises his hand. It's a win. He knocked this guy the fuck out. Was the spirit of the rule for cage grabbing meant in that kind of situation? I don't think so. He was standing above the guy, stomping on his head, and he grabs the cage as like a, a bit of a balance mechanism. I even had a long thought process. I'm like, maybe he should have just balled up his hands and put him against the cage. Or maybe you say open his hands. The problem is to open your hands, like your, your instinct is to grab it if you fall off balance, right? But in no way, shape, or form did the cage have anything to do with him knocking this guy the fuck out. What concerns me, though, about the fight is that the guy he's fighting against is, like, slow. He's not very good. It gets me to thinking about this record. Is he fighting guys that are fast? Is he fighting African-American type of quick twitch athletes that are explosive? The answer is no. He's fighting guys in the Far East. He's fighting Japanese fighters who, for lack of better words, are trying to use technical advantages to win the fight. That concerns me for Yusaka. At minus 180, it concerns me even more. When you get these minus almost two to one favorites on this show, it's a red flag because they're, they're all young. They all have inexperience. They all have question marks. Now, what's the like about Yusaka? He's very durable. He's never been finished before. Granted, only a handful of fights. The win in Ryzen is valuable. Ryzen, I would compare Ryzen to LFA. I would compare Ryzen to... Even PFL, it's good fighting. It's good competition. In that fight, though, again, that guy was, you know, I just, I didn't feel like he was very good. Now, what are my concerns for Yusaka? His only defeat was due to a mental lapse. When you look at that moment and you say to yourself, why did he grab the cage? It was a bit of a fighter IQ moment. I'm not going to lie. I, I do like him to win the fight. I'm explaining to you why I like him to win, but it was a mental lapse. He didn't have to grab the cage. It was a, kind of a dumb move. In the one fight that I did watch of him, the last fight we talked about, his hands are very low. This is a problem. If your hands are low against a guy who's got long range like Henrique, who can reach out and touch you, reach out and touch someone, if your hands are low, the reaction time has got to be on point or else you're going to get popped in the face. Now, he does some hot side-to-side -side head movement, kind of like the, you know, but the hands are low. And just like his opponent, Henrique, they both suffer from the same issue of being young when you're full of piss and vinegar. You're not worried about getting hurt. You're not scared about somebody clocking you. You have faith in your chin. They both have that, which is a bit of a problem. But 
My other concerns here for Kinoshita, he's not the most mobile fighter. This goes back to, again, who he's fighting. He's fighting in the Far East. Guys that are more standstill, almost like Muay Thai stances, heavy on their feet, not very agile, not very mobile. I'll make a comparison. Like when you watch a guy, for example, like Adriano Marias, who just fought uh, this past weekend on One Prime, very mobile fighter, moving side to side, good lateral movement. That is not uh, Kinoshita. My concern for that is that you become a standstill target for a guy who's from Brazil who's looking to strike you. So that becomes an easier standing target. That's my concern there. And then last but not least, the quality of competition. It's so hard to measure this. It's, it's, it's a guessing game. You can look back at their records. You can say, okay, they have a winning record or 500 record or they got knocked out. But they're all fighting the same guys. <laughs> they're all in the Far East. And I just don't know much about that. So there's a big question mark there for quality competition. Now, as for Jose Enrique from Brazil, he went professional in 2019, so also been a pro for about two and a half, three years. No amateur experience. His last fight was in the LFA. He's a right-handed fighter, so right-handed fighter against a southpaw. He won his last fight by split decision. He should not even be on Contender Series. In round one, it's my humble opinion, he does nothing. He maybe lands five strikes in round one, maybe throws 10 strikes total in round one. I'm not kidding. But somehow, the judge gave him the fight. In round two, Jose got hurt. In round two, he gets a fence. He got clipped. Didn't get knocked down, but he was hurt. Round two, clearly went to Oliver. And in round one, Jose didn't do anything. So how could he have won round one? Oh, but here we go. Split decision goes to Henrique. It was bullshit. He lost the fight. Round three, what you see from Jose is that he's got great cardio. He took a bunch of punches in round two. I thought several times in round two, the guy's going down. The chin's legit. He can take some punches, and he's got excellent cardio. And he came back, and he definitely wins round three. He knocks down Pedro in round three. He shows you that piss and vinegar, that young fighter in him. Now, what's the like about this young fighter? Very fucking tall, guys. Six foot five, going to have a five-inch height advantage. I mean, that's massive. He's going to have some reach advantage. His last fight we mentioned before, great chin, great durability. If I took one thing from his last fight for Henrique, he's got a chin. And he fully recovered fast after he got knocked. Not knocked down. But after he got hurt in round two of that fight, he recovered quickly. And last but not least, I love the cardio. I love how in round three, Henrique starts pushing the pace in his last fight. Now, what are my concerns for the young fighter? Limited experience. You know, these guys, they're fighting both of them. It's just not really sure. The one went in the LFA is a good win because it's LFA, but it was by split decision. I thought he lost a fight. A very slow starter. You don't like guys who are slow starters because if the fight goes a distance, they lose round one. That's what happened in his last fight, though they still have, somehow gave him round one. I don't get it. My other concerns are because he's so tall, and if you watch him on film, you'll see this. Tall people aren't quick. Like Wilt Chamberlain and Shaquille O'Neal, they were powerful. They were big, strong commanding of space dominant yes all those words apply but big people long people are not quick that's one thing they're not and he's not quick he's not quick with his head movement his combinations aren't quick when he throws a head kick it requires an entire wind up this is a guy who's been fighting at 185 coming down to 170 who you know i have concerns about durability the legs are very thin he's very hittable because his head movement is lacking Hands are kind of low, too much confidence in his chin. And the one big issue I have, and it's a pet peeve of mine, I'm going to call it the Sam Alvey technique. He complains about shit. He complains about all kinds of shit. If you watch the last fight, he complains twice in the fight, has the fight stopped because of a eye poke. And then at some point claims he got kicked in the groin. When you watch the replay, it's like, Meh. the referee didn't see it either time. He had to notify the referee. The referee then came in, some amateur referee, like, okay, we'll stop the fight. I don't like guys who bitch and complain. I don't like it. 
Now, Henrique is young. He might outgrow that. If I'm cornering him, if I'm coaching him, I'm like, listen, stop that shit of reaching out to the referee. You're fine. Fight your fight. Let's not do that. Comes off to me as a bit of immature and looking for other people to help you win the fight, if that makes some sense. So we watched two fights to bring down this film. We watched Kenoshita versus Sumimura from last year and Henrique versus Oliveira from earlier this year. Those two fights are available down below as part of our free video library. That's a reminder, please take advantage of our free video library. We put a free video library up for every film breakdown we do. And for the full card breakdowns, you'll see those film links down below. In conclusion, I'm going to go with a Japanese fighter. I'm not very confident. I can see a world here where Henrique takes everything the Japanese fighter can dish out to him, like everything but the kitchen sink, and somehow comes back to push the pace late in the fight, kind of like he did last fight. The question becomes, are we judging this fight one championship rules? Are we judging it UFC rules? Again, I thought Henrique lost last fight. If he comes out slow again in round one, Kinoshita could pick up the pace and grab a round in round one. That becomes in itself a problem. We haven't talked about grappling. And the reason why is neither guy is an amazing grappler, especially the Brazilian. He is from Brazil, but he's six foot five, very tall, very long. This 170 weight cut, I don't want to make too much of a big deal of it, but it's I'm not a big fan. He's at he's 19 years old and he's six foot five. So this idea of 170 for a six foot five guy, yikes. It, he's very thin, especially lower body, very thin. If he were to face a guy who approaches him with a solid ground game attack, I don't see how he wins. And so for me, let's talk about the future. Upside. Who's got the more upside? There's no question Japanese fighters have upside. He is more of the body frame for this weight class. He fits this weight class. This young Brazilian fighter should be fighting at maybe 205. He's 6'5". <laughs> I commend him and his team for trying to make this happen. Obviously, contender series, what an opportunity. But if he slows down the fight, if he has a bad weight cut, doesn't even make weight, don't be surprised. I watched him at 185. He looked thin. I can't imagine how he looks now at 170. The long and short of it is, I like Yusaka Kinoshita to win by decision. May not be enough for a contract. Then again, we know that Dana White and company want more of the Asian descent fighters in the roster. So this could be the guy. At the minus 180 price tag, not playable for me as a straight up pick. I will parlay it because I'm a DGen. That's the breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Let me know what you guys think. Give us comments and feedback. Let's move on. That brings us to the end of the episode, guys. Just a summary of our picks or our swift picks portion of the episode. We like in the main event, Yusaka Kunishida to win. Cedricus Dumas, Matias Rebecki, Maria Silva, and Blake Builder. The two dogs we like are obviously Dumas and Builder. We're not as confident in Maria Silva to win. It's a women's bout. I'm not trying to say traditional women's bout, but it goes to the scorecards, gets a little bit shifty. Both fighters have pretty good grappling skills. I think Silva wins, but man, at minus mid 250 range, I don't love it. Not gonna probably parlay that piece. I'll look for some prop bets like the fight going over a round and a half. The two bets that we feel the most confident in on the entire card, Kinoshita in the main event and Rebecca in the, uh, not co-main event slot, but co-co-main event slot fighting Lidio. So that's your picks, guys. Track us on our profile. The profile link's down below there and also track us on Twitter. We'll have our plays up there. Good luck with the card, guys. Thank you for joining us. If you didn't do so already, please like and subscribe. Thanks for your support and deuces. Good luck this week, guys.